Hello everybody, this is our ninth sermon in our series, What is Our Mission? And today we are looking at the final topic of praise. The passage that we're going to mention is Psalm 96. There is a great power unleashed when Christians gather to praise. That power is the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit at work within our midst. I grew up in a Christian family. I've known all the stories of the Bible since I was a child. My parents taught me the faith, prayed with me every night and took me to church every Sunday. Yet as I entered my teens, I became aware that just because my parents had faith, that did not mean that I did too. At some point, I would have to take the step to follow Jesus for myself. For me, that took place one evening at a town centre youth event. As all the Christian young people of the local area gathered to worship God together, I was blown away by a sense of God's presence. Suddenly, he was no longer just the God of children's Bible stories. He was the living God right there in the room with me. Following a time of sung praise and an evangelist then went on to preach, I knew it was time for me to give my life to Jesus, and so I did. My journey of faith beginning with a prayer of confession and commitment. For my brother, it was exactly the same. He too grew up with all the Bible stories. He had the knowledge of what Christians believe Yet he did not take his step of faith until he had had a similar experience of God's presence. For him, it came at a Christian youth festival called Soul Survivor. As thousands of young people from across the country sang praises to God, my brother gave his life to Jesus. Truly, as God's people gather to worship, God makes his presence known. The power of his love and grace really goes to work. But you do not need hundreds of people, a worship band and a state-of-the-art sound system to make this happen. Far from it. God can work anywhere. And his spirit is present even when very few of his people make the choice to praise him. Last weekend I witnessed this twice here on Isla. The wedding last Friday was an event of great joy. Yet because both families were people of faith, it was also laced with praise and worship. The wedding service itself was a powerful act of witness. One of the groomsmen there, one of the few that day who were not Christians, said to me afterwards that he found the whole service quite emotional. As people sung, he could sense the presence of something important, something he'd not experienced before. Of course, we know that was God. Let us pray that he goes on from this first encounter to really get to know him properly. Then the next day, at an entirely different setting, I experienced the power of praise again. This time I was conducting a funeral down at Kilnorton, and there was a large number of mourners present. This time the singing was not great, not great at all, but the family had requested that we sing The Lord's My Shepherd. I looked around as we sang. Most were reading their booklets or murmuring quietly to themselves, but a few were singing heartily. 
At one moment, I caught sight of Anne Heads, and I could see just how much every word of that psalm meant to her as she sung them. I looked at another lady who attends St John's, and I could see the same. There in the presence of death, God's praises were still defiantly being declared, and I suddenly felt this wave of hope and faith. I was feeling tired that morning, and it really encouraged me. God was making himself known through the praises of his people. He was there, ready for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. I could go on. I know I could ask many of you, and you also would be able to tell me of moments where you have encountered God through the praises of his people. It is what we should expect to happen, for the power of the Spirit is there in our midst as we worship. Tonight we reach the end of our series looking at mission. Over the last eight weeks, we've been asking the most important questions that human beings ever ask. Why are we here? What is our purpose on earth? What should we be doing with our lives? We have looked at all sorts of topics. Tending to creation, being a blessing, living a holy life, acting justly, sharing our faith through witness and evangelism, serving God publicly and spending time in prayer on behalf of the world. But there is only one place we could finish this series, and that is with praise. Quite simply, the ultimate reason for the church's existence is to glorify God. We are to worship him and enjoy his presence, and we will do this for all eternity. Everything we have done in this series so far is to lead to this one goal, the praise of God. Listen to this great quote from John Piper. It sums it up brilliantly. Mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not mission, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, mission will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Worship is therefore the fuel and the goal of mission. In other words, because the world is still full of people who are not worshipping the living God, the mission of the church, the mission of us here on Isla, is to try and coax them into the fold of those who do. The goal of mission is to bring more people to worship God, to enable God to get more of the glory he deserves. The work of the church and the individual believers within it, it's not about us. It's not about us being proud of having a bigger congregation. It's all about God. It's about bringing to God the honour he is truly worthy of. It is the goal of all human life then to love, enjoy and glorify God. But here is the wonderful news, the wonderful grace of our creator God. Worship is not a chore. God has not enslaved us into praise just to boost his own ego. Far from it. It is in the worship of God that we as humans find our deepest fulfilment and satisfaction. 
Indeed, we are most fully ourselves as human beings when we are in a living relationship with God. A relationship where God is glorified and we get to enjoy his presence. This is why when the Bible speaks of eternity, it speaks of both human perfection, a place where there's no more death, mourning, crying or pain, and as a place where God is constantly worshipped. The two go hand in hand. In fact, in eternity, the entire perfected creation will worship God. Listen to these words from Revelation 5.13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. In this series, we have said again and again that our mission on earth, our purpose for living, is derived directly from that which God is at work doing in the world. As we come to the end of this series, we can now succinctly sum up what God's mission is. Through his great love, God is seeking the ultimate well-being of everything he has made. And he does this by bringing his people into a relationship where they worship him and find the greatest joy in doing so. Our ultimate mission then is to assist God in bringing other people to worship him for themselves. That way God gets the glory he deserves and they come to experience the full joy he has in store for them. Listen to this great quote from John Stott. If God desires every knee to bow to Jesus and every tongue to confess him, so should we. We should be jealous, as scripture sometimes puts it, for the honour of his name. Troubled when it remains unknown, hurt when it's ignored, indignant when it's blasphemed, and all the time anxious and determined that he should be given the honour and glory which are due to it. The highest of all missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. Before this supreme goal of the Christian mission, all unworthy motives wither and die. I think we get the point. Worship is the goal of mission. Worship is also one of the means of mission. As God's people gather to praise and enjoy God, they are anticipating for all to see what a privilege will be for our eternity. We are forming a signpost to the future. When we intentionally praise God boldly amongst the darkness and the trials of our world, we are helping God to invite all onlookers towards glory. The Bible tells us that as human beings, we were created to praise God. Listen to some of these verses, Isaiah 43. God calls to his people, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. 
I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Then what about this from Jeremiah 13? For as a belt is bound round the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honour. But perhaps most clearly of all, God speaks of why he made us in Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is a short psalm. It's basically an extended call to worship. But notice this. At the heart of the psalm, is the statement that God made us and that we belong to him. But on either side of that statement, the psalm speaks of what we are to do as his people. In verse 1, we are to shout for joy to all the earth. And in verse 5, we are to tell of his love and faithfulness down through the generations. Psalm 100 really is clear when you take the time to look at it. As God's people, we were created to praise him, and to bring the nations and our descendants into that same worshipping crowd. So as human beings, we were created to praise God. But the New Testament takes this even further. We were also redeemed to praise God too. Listen to these verses, 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Those verses began by speaking powerfully of what God has done for us through Jesus. He's rescued us from darkness. He's invited us into his people, making us his family. He's forgiven us for our sins and shown great mercy. Why? so that we might declare the praises of him. And what happens as we live these lives of praise? Some of the people around us begin to hear about God and turn to glorify him for themselves. They are prepared for the day when Christ returns, the day from which worship will be all there is. So Peter clearly has a picture in his mind of what declaring the praises of God looks like. It means men and women celebrating God's great act of salvation, declaring the good news of the cross and resurrection in song and prayer and symbol. It means men and women defiantly demonstrating hope in the darkness of the world as we do when we sing God's praises at gravesides. It means men and women acting out their praise in all the ways that we've thought about in the previous eight weeks of this series. Through our actions day by day, everywhere we go and with everyone we meet. This is praise that spills out from the private dimension into the public. This is a missional worship. Listen again to the great words of John Stott. Worship involves witness. The factor that unites them is the name of God. 
For what is worship but to glory in his name, to praise, bless, or stand in awe of it? And what is witness but to proclaim the name of the Lord to others? Worship is worthship, an acknowledgement of the worth of Almighty God. It is therefore impossible for me to worship God and yet not care two cents whether anybody else worships him too. Worship which does not beget witness is hypocrisy. We cannot acclaim the worth of God if we have no desire to proclaim it. So we have been created to bring glory to God and we have been redeemed to praise him as our saviour. I want to now finish this sermon and indeed this whole series by stating that we are to offer this praise among the nations who do not know our God as creator and redeemer yet. This is where our reading from Psalm 96 comes in. Psalm 96 is one of the most missional songs in the whole Bible. It's designed to be sung by people who have experienced the wonderful deeds of God and want to tell of them to others. In the psalm, God's people were invited to sing a new song to all the earth. Israel were to praise God's name. They were to proclaim his salvation. They were to declare the deeds he has done. And they were to call on all who heard their song to respond. The psalm finished by anticipating the joy there will be for all creation when God returns and takes those who have responded to himself. But the question now arises, how did the surrounding nations come to hear this song being sung? Psalm 96 was a literal worship song. It was performed out loud. How did non-believers come to be witnessed to by it? Well, scholars have come up with several suggestions. First, Jerusalem was a very cosmopolitan city. Much trade and cultural political activity went on there. As non-Jews came in and out of the city, many of them would visit the temple out of sheer curiosity. And when they did so, they would hear the song being sung. Second, scholars point to the time in Jewish history when God's people were dispersed right around the Mediterranean region. In many countries, pockets of Jewish community would spring up and a little synagogue would be built at the heart of each one. The faith of the Jews would stand out among the pagan nations and become a talking point. We know from the Bible that many people were attracted to find out more about the Jewish God. The New Testament even has a special name for them. As they listened to songs like Psalm 96 being sung, they became God-fearers. Third, scholars point out that many of God's people continued to sing their songs while going through times of great adversity. Do you remember the story of Paul and Silas locked up in jail in Philippi? The story is told in Acts 16. Despite their awful conditions, even at midnight they were still singing praises to God. Acts 16 tells us that all the other prisoners were listening to them and that their praise and witness eventually led to the Philippian jailer and his whole family coming to faith. As a devout Christian, Paul would no doubt have been singing songs like Psalm 96, a psalm he would have known off by heart since he was a boy, a psalm that when sung out loud among the nations was profoundly missional in direction. What I've tried to do in this sermon is to put all of our lives into perspective. As humans, we have been made to worship God. We have been rescued by Jesus 
to worship God. For all eternity, we will worship God. And it will never get boring because within that worship, we will find our greatest fulfillment and the deepest joy. Our mission in life is to help God bring more people to himself. That way he gets the worship he deserves and they can experience the joy that comes from praise. Worship is the goal of mission. It is what everything we work at is headed for. Across this series, we have discovered there are many facets to our worship of God. We're not to spend our whole life in church. We're to live as people of blessing in the community, taking justice and holiness with us wherever we go and being prepared to speak of Jesus to those we meet. But let us never underestimate the power of praise to make a difference in people's lives. Let us commit to gathering together to worship. For when we do, the Spirit's power is present and God goes to work on those who are open to him. So if we find ourselves at a wedding or funeral, even if we're surrounded by non-Christians and non-singers, let's sing boldly our praise of God. It's a defiant declaration of his presence. Let's make sure this church stays open through all times of trial like we have done during this pandemic. For it demonstrates to the community that God is always worthy of praise and we still have hope. And let us seek to be passionate as a congregation in our praise together. For we will be surprised how quickly news spreads when God's presence is felt. Let us develop a reputation on Isla for the zeal of our praise. For if we do, God's story of love and salvation will become known as a result.